Welcome to Common Ground, a podcast series discussing new research and interesting projects in the field of complementary medicine. Hello, my name is Jackie Fay, Head of Education at Vitaly. Vitaly is a complementary medicine distributor with a goal to strengthen the relationship between customers, students, healthcare practitioners and premium complementary medicines. Firstly, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands and pay our respect to elders past and present. Today on Common Ground, I'm speaking with Evan Hayes. Evan has over 20 years commercial and leadership experience within the healthcare and biotechnology sectors. Evan is currently the Asia-Pacific Managing Director of Factors Group, Canada's largest natural health company since 2018. To share an update on the CAM profession, welcome to Common Ground, Evan. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for inviting me onto Common Ground. Yeah, lovely to have you here. Evan, we'd love to um, just hear firstly um, what your background is and what led you into the complementary medicine industry. Uh, okay. Um, uh, so uh, I think the uh, I, I think the bio says it all. Um, 20-something years I've been working in research and development um, and in particular in the, in the complementary uh, medicine industry. I started... Um, uh, working research and development in um, in immunoassay and uh, diagnostics, and then research and development into bacteria and probiotics, which led into commercial roles in um, in quality, then technical, um, then management of uh, some of Australia's largest healthcare companies. Um, with a particular interest in the innovation space and the sort of first to market type of um, um, type of space that uh, that that. Uh, practitioners uh, like so much in mm. Australia. Yeah, fantastic. And so I, I had a chat with you, Evan, last year or the year before about um, supply chain um, during COVID, which um, thank you for your input with that article um, that we published a year or two ago, Vitaly Dashboard. Um, just wondering, where where is the industry and profession at at the moment with regards to supply? Like what are the current challenges? Yeah, it was. Um, the, 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 I remember the article um, talking about it at the time. It was a very interesting uh, mm. point in time uh, from a supply chain perspective. Then as well, um, most of Australia's uh, natural medicine either is produced uh, offshore, or um, the raw materials are brought in from offshore uh, and produced in Australia. And so, actually, um, like a lot of uh, supply chain issues in in food that people started to see. Um, uh, natural medicine was also affected by it, so there was a there was quite a large constraint. Um, and then we kind of talked about the reasons why. Also talked about the seasonality of it. So it's not, it's nice to come back a year later because mm. um, quite a lot of the uh, the issues that we um, that we were facing then, I was saying, well, we haven't seen the end of it because it's it's farm cycles because most of them are natural. And so while we might get through the supply chain logistics part, which is freight, we're still not actually through there yet. Um, what we'll see is that there's a demand for some ingredients. And, and so, um, uh, it's a crop cycle. So, so some crops will be overproduced in the next two or three years. And then that means that we'll start to see shortages and other things. I think I mentioned kale at the time, whereas a prediction for 12 to 14 months time, there'll be kale shortages because other crops are being planted now. Uh, there's more demand, and and so that that's kind of how true the the um, the freight component of it. While we've seen uh, inflation and prices, the, um, the the speed of getting something into Australia has um, has quickened, thankfully. 
Um, and so we're not seeing supply issues because of um, because of freight as much as we were 12 months ago, but we are seeing those crop issues. Um, and I suppose as an example, we can see some some very prolific ingredients. There's, there's also the, the not just the economic aspect, but the social aspect of it that that uh, wasn't there when we spoke last. It's mm. actually happening uh, now too. And um, what I mean by that is, um, like food, quite a lot of our um, quite a lot of our raw materials are natural health. Um, ingredients or excipients comes from um, comes from the Ukraine, and so in the last twelve months, right. we've seen right. um, absolute shortages in some in some oils um, that come from that region of the world. Um, uh, th- th- there's there's a few ingredients that just have a global shortage right now because they were only produced there, um, and we've seen some interesting um, some interesting things too with with uh, um, with specialized ingredients now um covid uh caused causes an increase in in uh, i suppose people's stress levels then they move to the natural health space for um for supplementation for stress um using um using products such as rhodiola and in the last 12 months then uh the the amount of rhodiola that has been used globally has increased so much that there is a sustainability issue uh with um harvesting rhodiola so uh, most governments um then put a um um or most countries uh put a cites alert on saying um you need specific um permits to allow importation of um of uh, rhodiola because it's a protected species and so we're seeing shortages in products that have been um that have been utilized quite a lot for stress because um there's a global shortage they want to protect mm. um the um the supply chain and so then that increases the current shortage similarly um you you have some products where there's been such a demand for it and a shortage in supply that we're seeing an increase in adulteration and, and fake versions of those products come to market and so there's an increase in testing and then unless you have a and um, like an assured supply um, then it's a little bit um, chaotic securing that, mm-hmm. and then you have um, and you have situations globally for economic reasons. Uh, some of the larger raw material suppliers have moved in and out of of specific categories. Um, some of the larger suppliers of vitamin A have decided they're no longer going to produce that anymore, um, and so there's uh, th- that leads to a shortage in in something as very basic as vitamin A, mm-hmm. vitamin oh. A palmitate actually. Um, that's similar with um, would uh, would bore on some of the um, some of the ingredients in the last twelve months. Uh, molybdenum trioxide, as an example, was used as an excipient in vaccines, and so there was a shortage of that globally because there wasn't that many suppliers. Uh, and now that's ramped up again too. So it goes in and out. The the other one that I can kind of think of uh, right now is um, there's there's been a, a shift in. Um, in who produces um, ingredients from uh, natural sources like marigold for uh, so lutein and zeaxanthin, um, the, um, the, the a number of factories that that were producing that um, unfortunately burned down in the last eighteen months as well, and so there's there's less people producing it, and there's a higher demand for that ingredient too. Uh, so there's a shortage, and our price goes up. Um, so you, you're kind of right now in the middle of seeing um, shortages due to um, an, uh, an agricultural need brought about by the wrong things were planted 18 to 24 months ago, or the, the right things were planted for that need, but then needs a shortage for other things. 
um, uh, the, the uh, shortage due to um, the economic climate uh, and uh, war in the Ukraine, um, a shortage due to uh, trans, uh, a transformational sort of ownership of the factories that are producing some of the chemicals like vitamin A, and a shortage due to um, due to overharvesting, um, leading to um, leading to increased um, vigilance from governments on sustainable sources. So it's very different than 12, 18 months ago. You're getting a different host of shortages. Uh, now, uh, a lot of those ingredients that I mentioned then, lutein, vitamin A, um, uh, molybdenum, um, they're, they're, they're the source of, uh, of combination products in our industry. We kind of like to put lots of things together. Mm. And uh, if you have a multivitamin, as an example, with 50 ingredients, and even one excipient of that ingredient is out of supply, then you can't produce the multivitamin. And so we are seeing shortages of not just individual products such as lutein, but combination products where there might only be one milligram of lutein in a one gram tablet. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes. And so then you're looking at you're seeing quite a lot of reformulation of products in this industry as they scramble to kind of remain in supply when there's a short term of one milligram of, of the formula. So you're seeing a lot of change due to that then too. Mm. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And there, there isn't the kind of, there isn't the, um, similarly, the, um, the last thing I was going to mention for, for stuff like that is, um, um, the, the pace that some countries took the vaccine meant that while we're seeing, well, we saw, um, an initial increase in in some things like vitamin D and stress products um, uh, as the science um, progresses about uh, about what to take uh, in conjunction with that you see constraint on quercetin um, and um, and and some countries direct their um, their populations to take supplements as well uh, so so we're seeing a large increase in in CoQ10 usage uh, as Asia goes through continued vaccination as well. Um, because of the concerns about uh, about um, heart issues as well and things, and so so it, it, it there's it's still a lot of dynamism. The, the problems that were there 18 months ago are different than the problems that are there now, but from a consumer perspective, it's still it's still translated into the same thing out of stock. Mm. But the reasons are different now. Yeah, it, right. previously it was trying to get stuff into the country, and now it's more longer term issues about about constraint um, due to the raw material itself. And are we seeing? Um any sort of approach to manufacture more in Australia? I mean, could you explain why to the audiences listening, why we're not growing so much in Australia? Um, and is, is that, uh, is that it, changing it is at all? Interesting. It, it, it is interesting because, like, Australia is continuously called the, like, the food bowl of, um, of, of Asia-Pacific or mm. uh, or something like that. Um, you, you, the, the, depending on the region of Australia, you can almost grow anything. And so, we, we, the, similarly, then to from a under the ground perspective, um, we're quite rich in in um, in minerals as well. Uh, and so, so from a from a natural source of product perspective, we are really well set up to be able to grow our own. Um, from an economic perspective, uh, you can still get. Uh, it's still more viable to produce overseas in, in countries that have um, been um, been like farming large uh, amounts of these products and ingredients for a long time. They're just more set up for it. Um, so, um, and these things don't 
happen overnight to be able to suddenly go, we're going to build and grow a, um, I mentioned kale, um, as an example, a kale industry within Australia might be a good initiative, but um, you need to, um, you need to incentivize the farmers to plant that instead of something else. Uh, you need a market to be able to, um, to, you need the labor force to be able to harvest that, which has been a difficulty in the last 12 to 18 months. Mm. Um, you need a consumer then to be able to buy, um, mentally buy the, um, the proposition that, um, that Australia made is better when prices of everything that are even imported are going up considerably than um, paying a premium for an Australian-made product because the labor arbitrage, because the cost of, of producing it is just higher here than it is somewhere in Asia um, or India or um, Eastern Europe. Um, the uh, So, so there's, a, there's a lot to happen before we have a very viable um, like agriculture Mm. Uh, converted into vitamins supply chain within Australia. Uh, it, it is a great proposition. And in the long term, what, what the last few years has taught us is that we're very reliant as an island nation. We're very reliant on, on the whims of overseas. Mm. And so there, uh, and so quite a lot of the, um, the agricultural grants and the biotechnology grants that Australia is now, uh, is now putting into research and into, um, into commercial applications is how do we become more sustainable? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and so while there is a lot of effort into that, like I said, um, you, you do have to convert the farmers away from what they're doing now into something new. And then you have to build a whole industry around, um, which doesn't exist in Australia really into, um, into taking that raw material and drying it and extracting it into a, a herbal extract or, um, or, uh, making it into a powder or making it and then, um, making that powder stable and putting it down on stability to ensure that it, it's got long-term stability. And, um, so, so planting it as one aspect of it and converting it then into a vitamin and then converting that, that vitamin into a tablet. Mm. Um, there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of companies doing all of that within Australia, but it needs a lot more. And the capabilities here and the capacity to be able to do more and the, appetite for the australian consumer to to consume a made in australian product is definitely there yes um but 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 it's polarizing at the same time as that you also have a, a huge drive for uh economic value for basket size for the amount so the, it, it's um the, the cost of um of people shopping has gone up and so um, so then the products that come to market then have to be a certain price and a certain margin and, and, uh, and that's very difficult to be able to obtain and manage with a completely new industry within Australia to be able to set that all up and then say, but we want, but then the consumer expects it to be extremely, um, affordable is very, very difficult to do. Um, they're expensive ingredients to produce. They're expensive ingredients to produce even, even when they're produced overseas. And to be able to produce them here mm. and have, have at a value that the, the consumer uh, expects to pay for them is very, very difficult. So it's it's not an easy thing to do. And then the easier solution is, well, I'll just import that. Mm. Is that, is that um, it's a bit of a rambling way to kind of say it's very hard, but yes. it's happening in the background. But it's happening. Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, I, I can understand that this is, um, it's not an overnight thing. It's, it's a lot of planning in place and. A lot of strategy behind that, but um, good to hear. It's um, in, in pockets, in, mm. in pockets actually as well. It is being produced, interestingly, mm. um, and we've seen this in the food sector. Um, it's there's more of a value 
um, achieved from Australian products overseas than there is um, sometimes. Okay. Um, and so actually, like for, for food, as a good example, we might sell, and we, we saw this um, with, with, some, um, with some trade deficits into, into Asia last year, we might sell overseas at a higher price than an Australian is willing to pay locally. Mm. So quite a lot of companies would sell their products overseas and then import a version of the same product for the Australian marketplace. Mm. And so while, while this industry does exist in particular in, in, um, in, in uh, cattle-based products like gelatin, um, we might be producing a lot of it. We might be competing on a global level, but we're probably exporting quite a lot of it um, as well. So, so the, the uh, kind of the, the view that we're not, uh, we're not competing in this space, um, might be unfair to people that are producing here, but they're exporting most of it rather than selling it locally. Mm, gotcha. Thank you. Well explained. And so we're hearing a lot more, um, Evan, about artificial intelligence. Where where does AI sit for the complementary medicine industry? Oh, it's, it's going to kill us all, Jack. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> they're gosh. Gonna take, they're going to take over. Um, <laughs> um, it, it, so I've got mixed views on this. I'm, I'm not certain that they're going to take over and we'll be living in the matrix um, type of view. I, I think it's, it's far more... Um, Subtle than that. There's so so. There's a few things. Again, I can I can sort of I'll try and break it down into one. Do you know the term, um, the stochastic parrot? The stochastic uh, parrot. Um, yeah, the stochastic parrot. So, stochastic. so uh, AI has AI has. Um, let me explain it. The AI has uh, has started to come into the the sort of common parlance right now with um, with. Um, ultimately chatbots we've, we've all assumed for a long time that that when we're talking to somebody on a customer service line um that we're really talking to a robot um mm-hmm. and um and, and so there's been um chat gpt and a few a few um pieces of software that have really changed um uh like sort of that ai talking back to you on 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 a website um it, it has has um has grown and even in the last six months massively so so the view is now that um, these um, these algorithms are so sophisticated that you can have a conversation with them, um, and and that that has sort of started off on um, uh, on basically using it for customer service for for business. Oh, cut out there! You still there? The computer, um, the computer like adapts to your questions and then gets you to where you need to, to, to go to be able to get a new um, credit card. And it has adapted quickly into, um, I want to uh, I, I want to develop uh, a website with a sales pitch for my product, but I don't have the time or the people to do it. And so then the algorithm will do that with a few keywords from you and a, uh, like a, a small uh, bit of an intro, it'll write something for you. Now, the technology behind that um, will grow to um, to basically consultation and diagnosis. Uh, I want uh, um, I want my website to be able to direct you uh, like a sales funnel towards a product, but I don't have the time to do that, and so I'm going to put a bit of um, a bit of uh, technology behind my website to be able to um, communicate with you in a way that you will uh, you will then buy my product or buy my service so i want to be able to help you with your diagnosis going i've got a i've got a headache can you help me with that and and rather than 
um, rather than a naturopath uh, in the background making that diagnosis. It's not hard to, it's hard to think that eventually um, that will be the you'll be basically getting the diagnosis from the website itself, um, which will then direct you towards uh, specific products uh, owned by that website. Um, not, not the what I meant by the stochastic parrot is it learns in a way um, that um, that uh, it, it it repeats uh, and it learns from the last question and the question before that and um, and yeah. interestingly then too it, but but it's it, it, what we're what we're seeing with a lot of those uh, early versions of this is that it 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 almost makes sense but it doesn't quite so so it's it, like the longer the conversation goes on the the more um, the, the more it seems right, but not, and and a lot of these algorithms have a have, have a propensity for um, for being inaccurate right now, but it reads right, and so while um, where I'm coming from from this industry is that if you're if you're starting to to get into the diagnosis phase, um, uh, which with quite a few websites in the US are on this, the the algorithms behind it like aren't quite accurate, and so the diagnosis won't be quite accurate either. So yeah, that's right. Um, so, so then the, um, the, the result for the patient is, um, in long term is basically, uh, recommendations for, uh, for products that may not actually, um, be beneficial for the original complaint or, uh, recommendations for products that don't actually exist. Or like there's a good example recently where, um, these, um, the, 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 the AI behind some of these softwares on, on, um, on, uh, recipe sites, um, uh, are starting to create recipes that like don't taste right and <laughs> are a mixture of ingredients that are almost impossible to be able to do in the same location and things. Right. And it's a good example of how that will then develop into diagnosis for medicine as well. So that's, that's one thing where it starts off really well, but unmanaged. Um, it has a, it has a consumer or a patient risk because uh, leaving, uh, leaving your diagnosis to chance. And the consumer, in lots of ways, or the patient doesn't really know they're talking to an algorithm. Um, but they're getting a recommendation of a product that may not be beneficial for the for the original complaint, and so that's one thing that I'm that we're seeing quite quickly. Uh, and so, um, from an AI perspective, um, is watch out. The second, the, the second is is really interesting, um, where uh, we're using big data to be able to, um, and something that that we've um, we've started uh, a fair bit in bioclinics. Um, where we're using big data to be able to uh, to make determinations from a lot of raw, uh, from a lot of uh, analysis that would just be impossible for a human to to um, see the forest for the trees on, and so where where so there's uh, like there's a lot of interactions that cause something, and then you're not quite sure which interaction caused which, uh, and then what the output is. Um, that leads to the beneficial response, and so like where this is really interesting is in the gut, um, or in um, in the, the 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 health benefits from um, from plants. Yeah, and the two of those are quite interesting because in the gut you have um, uh, uh, quite a large microbiome, and you have inputs, so you have the food that you eat. Um, and you have the dynamic environments that the guts in that, um, that the bacteria, excuse me, in the gut are in. You can't quite tell who, you know, who's in the zoo and what's doing what. And then you have the outputs of short chain fatty acids produced by, 
um, the interactions between the host and the god. And then you have, um, or you have, uh, like input, you have prebiotic, you have a probiotic or a bacteria in there, out, uh, or a postbiotic as they die. And then output, you have short chain fatty acids, um, waste chemicals that have a nutritional value, um, products that can pass the, um, the gut barrier or in, uh, like chemicals that can, or, uh, chemicals that work in the small intestine and the large intestine. And so there's a whole lot of data. Um, and all we can really see right now is, um, barely, but all we can really see right now is like what types of bacteria are in the gut. And all we can see is, is there a positive uh, or a negative benefit? So, um, I, I took a probiotic and, um, and, um, my gut's not at homeostasis. I took a probiotic and I feel better. Um, like it's very hard to quantify that. Or, um, I had atopic dermatitis and it's gone away. It must be the probiotic or, but what is it? Is it the combination of the probiotic plus the combination of the bacteria and the short chain fatty acids? Is it the large intestine or small intestine? And so we can't really determine what's going on. We can guess and we guess in a very basic clinical trial way. I took this product. I took it for 16 weeks. I wasn't healthy and now I am, mm -hmm. or it has an effect. And then we look at all the data and we kind of say, well, we can't really infer much, but we see that like versus a placebo, uh, this is what's different. It's, it, it's really like, um, it's called a bucket science. Um, really very basic. And, and AI takes a lot of that away because it can do multiple things and it can sort of follow that logic down a path um linearly but also sort of like horizontally kind of go if uh if if i take this bacteria out uh what will what will the predicted outcome be if i put this bacteria in um if i um if i put three times more in will i have three times more of an effect and so that's so it, it could take us a very long time to be able to reach the same conclusions whereas um for the microbiome uh, AI will be able to do that once we give it the basic parameters and, and, um, and inputs. It should be able to predict and then we can, uh, we can take that prediction and then ultimately start at the end, take that prediction and then start a trial on the prediction. Whereas before you'd have to start, start with a hypothesis and then go through and then, um, and then come to a conclusion and go, oh, that was a right conclusion or a wrong conclusion. We can do all that bit up front and then take the answer and see if the answer translates in science. Um, in a clinical trial. Um, and the second option that I see is, is really great is we, um, we take a plant and we extract, uh, the plant and, and it basically becomes a powder. It's not the plant anymore. It's, it's the components of the plant that we think have a, uh, a basic effect. Um, and, um, there are quite a lot of, um, and it's, uh, phytomolecules within the plant. And we're saying that this one, specific ingredient will have an effect um but we don't know really if it translates that if there's if you're eating a healthy diet with this plant will you have the same effect if, if it translates into a supplement similarly um uh like the, the plants have multiple uh, flavonoids is an example or bioflavonoids um they're, they're like there could be hundreds of those and we extract one specific one and say it has an effect now um what ai will be able to do is it, it will be able to um, uh, and it is, um, take, there, there are multiple, um, startup companies that have, um, have set this up. And again, for Bioclinic, we're working on research on both this and the probiotic one in, um, the probiotic, uh, AI stuff in Macquarie University. Right. Um, for the last two years, and we will be for the next three, four years, um, following these exact two, um, sort of AI streams. Um, the, 
for for um, for the predictive, which is well, there is um, thousands of of um, uh, of uh, small um, uh, flavonoids or peptides in nature, and to be able to accurately predict what they will do in a in, in a human. Um, is doable, but it, it could take hundreds of years doing clinical trials for all these um, peptides and flavonoids um, against uh, like predicting that they will have an effect in cancer or um, Alzheimer's or I'm saying all the words that probably get you banned on your podcast. Mm. Um, but the, the, um, but, um, but to be able to to be able to do that clinical trial wise to take a peptide and see that if it, if it has an effect on a human, um, it's very expensive and, and very time consuming, but to be able to predict that across, um, mm. like, so let's say we find a plant, um, uh, that has resveratrol and cosetin in there. We extract resveratrol and cosetin, but there's different molecules of that, um, isoquisetin, um, EMIQ, um, and to be able to predict that they have an effect on, um, cognition or, or, um, or, uh, cardiovascular or, um, or uh, blood pressure uh, is much easier if you're using uh, like an algorithm behind it that can that can very quickly take a lot of data and say, well, we uh, we predict that this ingredient will have this effect in a human, and then you take that answer and you start again. Uh, and so it, it's um, uh, you can take a lot of information and very quickly analyze it uh, using AI, um, and then that has huge benefit in this industry uh, because. Um, for natural medicines, uh, clinical trials have been notoriously difficult to do on a long-term basis. You have to do them on um, on healthy patients, and most of them are about prevention rather than disease. And so actually to be able to get a clinical effect is very difficult in this space. Um, but to be able to predict that this ingredient will have this benefit, um, like like it makes it easier to be able to pick the winners and then to be able to start those clinical trials on the winners. And so I would say, say in the next five 10 years, we will have a, an awful lot more natural health products that have come from sort of analyzing big data to be able to predict it and then go back and do the trials on it. Um, and so we will have a lot more um, very effective products from uh, natural natural health starter materials, whereas mm -hmm. it's been notoriously difficult to do that, right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so the next, for this industry, the next five or 10 years will be very, very um interesting on this we'll see a lot of products arise that are like that we originally would have thought of as extracts but now are components and 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 there's a debate about whether this there's ip in that or not um but we'll be very able, quickly able to define um and we, we we started to see it again at the start of covid where we where we thought uh, like a, uh, antiviral products will possibly have an effect on this so we're going to focus on these five ingredients and really dig into those on a global level um, and AI kind of takes that away from the global level and just basically does it on a computer and predicts for you, and mm. then you can do the trial on it. And is there a limitation with AI in terms of, I'm just thinking of the individual patient as well as the altering microbiome? You know, the, the microbiome can change if you've had a course of antibiotics, say, for example. Where, where does the individual patient sit and that changing nature of the microbiome with AI? It's um it, it's a good question because it, it's really any clinical trial is basically like done on patients and then we we pull out from the individual and into a cohort of fifty or one hundred of them and, and then make a decision based on a cohort. 
but we kind of the individual comes out of that. The individual becomes the anomaly. Right. Um, and if you're looking at that from a, if you're looking at that then from a again bigger data perspective, um, yeah, like you, you can go you can go forwards and backwards, I suppose, at least with, with um, using data to be able to make the decision. Um, mm. The data can support the decision on an individual level, or it can support it on a group level or a population level, or um, something. I suppose it, again, it's it's a hard question to answer. Mm. Um, it's based on your input. It's it, it like a lot of this is because, like I said about the parrot earlier, a lot of this is about the input and the design of the of the. You, you get in it, it's like it's a bit um bit of an old saying but you you know um in like input in input out you basically get the answer um it, it's as good as the design of the software that um that 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 it's set up so um so, so like the, the 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 more sophisticated and, and like intelligent and um uh, not um intelligent the 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 software is to be able to get the right answer the more likely we'll get the right answer whereas right now uh we're basically just learning how to do machine learning um the um like yeah can you personalize it maybe is the question that you're kind of asking it i think you can um uh but but a lot of parts like even personalized medicine right now is is a bit new Uh, and so personalized medicine isn't really personalized per se it's it's against grouping you plus other people like you into the same group um to bring it right down to a very very personal level i think i think that's very very doable you just use the same pieces of information um like you would take a diagnosis of let's say um, your microbiome or your blood uh, or urine like you would in a um like in a normal uh clinical setting uh, and then you make a decision based on that. But the information that you would be able to get at hand on a personal level would be much better than it is now. So, uh, and so then the output would be much better too. The, um, like you would be able to take that same blood sample, but, um, but the, um, the analysis based on that blood sample would be much more, um, sophisticated. In which case then the, the, um, the result that you or the diagnosis that you would be able to give would be much more tailored because you have a lot more information. And if you can troll through that information, troll through that information, or if you have a piece of software in the back that will go, well, all this information equals that, then you will be able to make a much more personalized decision. So, mm-hmm. um, so while, um, I, yeah, it is an interesting question. While the, um, while the opportunity for the, for the AI to run away with the diagnosis, yeah, if it's if it's uh, if it's basically just running your website for you, is there the um, the opportunity to be able to use that same uh, that basically that same logic to be able to help you as a practitioner with the diagnosis is also there. So like it's funny you can the the AI can take the human out of the out of the process and sort of just analyze data. Um, but you can also put the human into the process and, and make it very individual. But but taking the practitioner out of the process is, is probably um, the bit that you shouldn't do because That's even right. if the even if the even if the analysis gives you the data, um, you should still be able to like look at that data and look at your patient and be able to put the two together. You shouldn't just rely on the answer that you're getting. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like you said earlier, it's the- an interesting way. 
Yeah, like you said earlier, the data supporting the decision. Well, it, that's the, that comes to the skill of the practitioner. Um, you know, I sort of, you know, when you were talking, I see AI as a tool and it can be quite an informative yep. tool that you use as a practitioner to make a, an informed, educated decision for your patient. Yeah, exactly. Where we are right now, we're not quite there, but we, but five, six years ago, the, the thought of, um, the thought of a, like an autonomous vehicle, um, was a bit bizarre to us. Whereas now, uh, like the whole world is kind of open to it. Mm-hmm. And so the, so we're almost at a point with cars where they can drive themselves, but we're still sitting there with our hands on the steering wheel. Um, uh, and, and I, I think medicine should be the same way. The, the computer can make the diagnosis for you and get you the answer, but we should still have our hands on the steering wheel. Absolutely, um, we shouldn't just let go. Of it. Um, even even if even if we're reasonably confident, it'll get us to the same location, um, which is probably where we are. It's, it still needs the individual to um, to analyze the data and to do the right thing for the patient. And when you know, as a practitioner sitting, you know, with your patient opposite you, you can gain so much insight with regards to just sitting with a person. You know, how do they look? How's their posture? How's their breathing? All these, uh, you know, all these other aspects as well. There's, there's, tons, of, there's tons of examples right now where, where mm. we've just decided, okay, we trust we trust the algorithm. And so um, um, ASX trading and stock exchange changing, um, Bitcoin buying were really good examples in the last few years where, where the algorithm was buying and selling for us. Mm-hmm. And, and we kind of like we would turn up at the end of the day and look at the information and go, oh, I'm up, oh, I'm down. We didn't really, like, we didn't input ourselves into the conversation. And that's fine for a while. And 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 then you turn up one day and um, you, your Bitcoin has slumped and it's been out of your control and you're wondering how that happened. And and so while it's a very good tool, the people that probably turned up every day and utilized the information um, to make a decision themselves rather than to allow the computer to make a decision have probably done very well out of it mm. whereas the ones that just passively let it happen in the background yes um, have a very sick bank account and i would imagine that's <laughs> no different than having a sick patient because you're you're allowing the ai to make the decisions for you yes it's, it's just you're right it's, it's it's a much more sophisticated tool and we should be thankful for that mm. rather than just go you can now might do my job and i'm off to the beach that's right yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly i think, I think yeah. we'll have both i think we'll see a lot of websites where people are off to the beach um <laughs> and so um, and that's a short-term thing, I think, whereas then we react towards that and it'll get much more sophisticated. Um, similar, the, the diagnosis stuff, um, like that learning, we've never really looked at a lot of this before. So there will be so much, there'll be such a wealth of information that will lead down new pathways in, in new products and new diagnosis mm. that, um, that we, we should open the doors for. It. Absolutely. It's yes. a very exciting time. Yes, 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 absolutely. That's why we're looking at it. Metabolomics and separate second metabolites and really understanding like how diet can at a at a on a molecular level can influence you is super crucial to understand. So we couldn't do that ourselves. We do need computers to do that. Mm. Um, and so very exciting time for it. We should be able to take the, the take the, um, the, the those those leaps and be able to utilize those into into uh, into our practices. Mm. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing more. I mean, it's a it's a rapidly growing space, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool uh, at the moment. Very mm. fast. Mm, absolutely. Thank you for a very insightful and engaging conversation on Common Ground, Evan. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Jackie. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. We appreciate your support and feel free to leave us, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.